0: It's beginning to look a lot like that holiday season, which means it's that time of the year where you start making a list. And checking it twice and realise that you, your friends, and family have got way too much crap in your lives. So, this festive season, gift yourself or someone you love a monthly or annual subscription to the Storymakers Institute, your front row pass to the world's most intriguing storytellers. Receive new episodes of the show every week and your own premium feed with extended full length episodes only for paid subscribers. To set up your subscription, Just visit thestorymakersinstitute.substack.com forward slash subscribe. Happy holidays. Hi there. and Welcome to the Storymakers Institute, your front row pass to the world's most intriguing storytellers and a very warm welcome to so many of you who've recently joined us here on the podcast. A reminder, if you're not a paid subscriber, then you're only getting half the story. If you'd like to support the show and become a paid subscriber, jump onto our website, thestorymakersinstitute.substack.com forward slash subscribe to find out how. This week on the show, say hello to ABC senior presenter, Geraldine Doog. Now, Geraldine is a renowned Australian journalist and broadcaster with a distinguished career in news and current affairs. She's the presenter of ABC RN's Saturday Extra. She was recently recognised for her outstanding contribution to journalism at the 2023 Walkley Awards and will be hosting a new show in 2024 called Global Roaming, with Geraldine Doog and Hamish MacDonald, discussing international affairs with a focus on Asia and the Pacific and Australia's place in it. In this second last episode of the Storymakers Institute for the Year, I sit down with Geraldine to talk about an emerging global issue, news avoidance. When do we need to be informed about the world's stories and when is it okay to put the head in the sand? Geraldine do welcome to the Storymakers Institute. Thank you, Joel. It's lovely you're here and congratulations on your recent Walkley. It's tremendous news.
1: Yes, look, it was lovely. It's one of those things that, you know, you don't absolutely need, but gee, it's nice when it, ha- when it comes and you think, oh, they did all notice that I was trying. <laughs> so it was, it was lovely, actually. Is there a
0: special spot on the shelf? I
1: built a little office for myself during covid just outside my kitchen. It was a sort of funny little part, unused, if you know what I mean. And so I I, uh, uh, got it built and it's gorgeous. So it's sitting there beautifully beside – it's very nice. It's actually a very nice trophy, the Mm Walker trophy. And um, so it's sitting there beside my – my terminal, just to remind me that, you know, you're only as good as your last story one way or
0: the other. Oh, yes. Yes. You're only as good as your last show. That's absolutely uh, something to take on board. Uh, Well, as we kind of round out this year, I've got to say 2023 hasn't exactly been light. No. Uh, Plenty to grapple with. This year, as you do every weekend on Saturday Extra, are heavy issues where people have actually had to confront a whole range of things, uh, both actively and inactively. When is it okay to put the head in the sand?
1: Oh, I think more than we once thought it was okay. Um, look, we, by way of actually zeroing in on something that highlights what you're saying. We pre-recorded a very interesting interview on Rwanda, uh, which I have actually visited. It had a terrible genocide sort of just over twenty-five years ago. And I went there, you know, to see the gorillas and became captivated by the nation as much as the gorillas. And I've never taken my eyes off it. And I heard this very interesting interview with a woman uh, who was an ex BBC correspondent saying that despite all the, the appearances to the contrary, because it's sort of in so many ways doing well, it was actually becoming more and more autocratic. And quite disturbing elements involved. So we recorded that interview with her. she was very good talent as we say. Oh, I'd say two and a half to three months ago and we just then Gaza broke out, you know Ukraine was still on the on the boil, um, inflation's going wild or you know you know up and down with interest. And we just thought we can't run this story. There's too much to be saying to listeners well, look, now we're going to turn to Rwanda. And you thought it was all right, but no, it's not. And we just thought, no, we just, we just can't. <laughs> we could just hear, well, you don't have radios flipping off, but we could just hear people pressing buttons. No, too much. Now, we eventually did run it last week, cleverly sort of buttressed by stories that were a little bit more hopeful. And it was, for me, it was an amazing, it was a very good story. There's no, there was nothing the matter with it. It was accurate. It was fair, I think. But we just felt, oh, how do we present this to listeners?
0: There is just so much. And we ran it into the corridor, ran into each other in the corridor at ABC in Sydney uh, the other day. And and you were really expressing some concerns, saying, you know, concerning that people were switching off, they were tuning out, they were turning away, turning away from the news. Do you think, Journalism has exploited the negative biases of the human psyche for too long.
1: Uh, it, it, frankly, yes, but this is not easy because, I mean, I was brought up, my definition of news is that which differs from the norm, or I think it was um, Hearst said um, everything that nobody else wants you to print. So, you know, you can see the bias there. Like you know, you're not there to say it's going to be a gorgeous day today. You're there to say it's going to be a cyclone on arrival, so you'd better be careful. You Quite know, naturally. Warning, warning. <laughs> so, it would, so we are there to alert people to what they don't necessarily have access to, but I think we've become—it's become a little bit of a drip feed of um, uh, incompetence. I say, don't just say negativity. The incompetence around us, and we has been our hallmark, rather than looking for competence as well. And the argument. Competence, you, incompetence of who? Competence of, of systems, of governments, of politicians, of doctors, of um, uh, first responders, blah, blah. In other words, like, I mean, I'm, you can't take your eyes off incompetence. We're there to hold up a mirror to the society, to speak truth to power, but often there is really new um, emerging stories in adaptation as well and where systems do adapt and become cleverer or we might I mean we do it in medicine we sort of are very happy if we can say major breakthrough you know cancer treatment or whatever sometimes we overdo that but I would argue that we have not only played of late particularly since COVID to fears but I think we found a, a, a very ready sort of alleged purpose for ourselves by showing how everyone's a twit, you know, like more or less, in power. They're all fools. Well, I don't know where that takes us. I, I, I think it's been overdone.
0: Mm. And is the ramification of this that people note it and don't like it and turn off?
1: That's what we're finding. Particularly, there's about up to 44% uh, of people who once effortlessly accessed your typical bulletin are allegedly ready very, very comfortably to switch off. And about 32%, I think I've got the figures right, these are, I think, very interesting. The BBC and American outlets do good um, research into what's called news avoidance. It's a very big emerging issue which newsrooms around the world are really becoming aware of and quite worried about um, uh, our own Sabra Lane, you know, who does uh, AM, she actually, we gave her the scholarship that was set up for my late husband, Ian Carroll, who was a very good editorial leader, and she got a scholarship to go away and look at news avoidance in, around the world and how newsrooms are coping with it. And she's come back and having, I think, quite an influence on local news people by saying, you know, you can still do your job, but you might write your scripts a little bit differently or you might um, just flag the fact that there's hope on offer or somebody's developed a very clever response to this, which is being rolled out in, you know, um, local governments uh, north of the Tweed or something like that. And you put that into your first part. You don't wait to have that in the body of the story. So, you know, you bring it in. So you encourage people to keep listening because there's a bit of hope. So th- this is a very real issue. and You know, for something like the ABC, who, whose stock in trade is to encourage people to engage in these matters, you know, if we're going to be losing particularly women,
0: that's not good news. I suspect there's something about the, the time pressures of having to get it right in, in a shorter and shorter space of period of time, which comes into play here. Because I don't think we can get any more <laughs> instant uh, a response. And uh, so far as any particular issue or, or, or theme or, or breaking news story that comes up on any given day, and there's a requirement and an expectation that you have the answers immediately and you can so eloquently sprout them
1: spoken like a true uh, presenter as opposed to a a, a person who signs the checks because they all say (laughs) that we do but look 100% I'll put my case forward it's 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 stretching people massively and what you end up doing is you don't stop and think you you have to go on your first thought you know what I mean and you've got to develop a skill really, it's a salesperson's skill, you know, to speak under wet cement and to speak vaguely, um, rationally. Um, and I mean, it's so it really favours the, the talent that can pivot fast. And look, I admire that, by the way, I'm not uh, poo pooing it, I think it's very clever, and I love watching people who do it well. There's a BBC man called Ross Atkins who is legendary, and he is oh, just, he's doing a lot of work in the BBC about trying to reposition um, journalism to become more of an explainer. It, so, And it's working too. The Beeb's putting a lot of effort into this. And um, so because one of the consequences of this news avoidance when people started to drill down and to explore it a bit more was that people said, well, look, I don't know what you're talking about half the time. You, you've all kept up to date with, you know, little permutations, granular detail about um, the IDF in the Gaza. I, I, I've actually been, you know, listening to some music. Busy. Or been, you know, <laughs> living my life. <laughs> and so please help me understand. Now, when, strangely enough, and so we're all obviously using this term explainer, now, I find this a very, this is a, a development of the last year. That's as recent as it is. When I came into journalism many years ago, there were more explainers in newspapers where I started out, you know, they do little breakout boxes, often in bold type, to say, you know, need to know. Then they all went away. It's quite interesting to think about. I don't quite know why. Uh, they, they were regarded as, oh, naff, you know. Um, they're back. Now, I think this is a good development in journalism is sort of assuming that people um, have to be helped to understand and you spell things out. But there's a skill in doing that. You know, you don't want to be giving a lecture, you know, here's the pointed thing, you know, one, two, three. But that is coming back and I think that um, and there are people making real money, by the way, on doing YouTubes little history explainers and, and, you know, fantastically successful podcasters doing this. So there is a change underway. It's not all bad, but um, that sort of slower thinker, that person who prizes the shades of grey, see what it leads to, what you're alluding to is black and white (laughs) verdicts, Um, and they've been lionised, those people, whereas, in fact, what I look for are the people who say, look, it's not clear-cut what's happening here, that, oh, that's what I like.
0: It's just so much more interesting.
1: Yeah.
0: And being ill-informed may have been fine during various points in history, but suddenly now everyone has a microphone and we're all shouting into the abyss.
1: Yeah, we are. We're all shouting a lot. And, look, I just keep saying to people, this will pass. I mean, I, I hope I'm right. I mean, I just think the social, well, I should ask you, you're younger. Is this whole social media phenomenon going to stay as it is, do you
0: think? My greatest hope is that uh, a very specific asteroid hits those very specific satellites that social media companies utilize (laughs) and they will be banished into the outer regions of the galaxy forever and ever. (laughs) Now, I don't see that happening anytime soon, but if there is, you know, without being completely doom and gloom and getting to trouble for this, uh, you know, if there is an asteroid that does come, that will be one benefit of it. Anyway, uh, but what yeah, I would say it can be really is boring,
1: can't it? That that's what I'm hoping for is the good old boredom factor. You know, things that become yes. completely predictable. I mean, it's as old as the hills. You know, predictable outputs become boring, and I why won't they be affected by that as well?
0: Hmm. Oh, look, absolutely, yeah. I don't, I don't see it here to stay. I I think it will morph and change and evolve and AI. I mean, that's a whole other kind of topic. Uh, but, um, and, and what our relationships are with other beings that are non-human and that are born through technology. Like, I think that is more where, where things are moving rather than the, um, yeah, you already see it in terms of the, the, the numbers. Yes, they're, they're large, but I think there is platforms that are being kind of, you know, people are turning away from them, um, and that, um, and that perhaps over time, the newer ones will also be part of that ongoing kind of collapse of that system, which once was fun but no longer is. I guess for for me, one of the things that has come up in recent times uh, is that phrase: "Do your own research." And very much that's moved into the vernacular of the last few years, which is either a kind of a cursory glance through the feed, as we've been talking about, and holding on to a few headlines to justify a position, and that being equated as equals to a lifetime's worth of research. So in this context, where do you think truth lies here with the expert knowledge holder or with the mob? <laughs> Oh look, I've always believed
1: in the acquisition of knowledge because of the effort that is involved to move beyond your certainties. I've always felt that. That that that, and I actually think we in the ABC just must hold that up. And you know, I know all of it. Allegedly in America, that's all part of the this. Grutony of the of the specialist and you know certain politicians we know very well very much like to decry the specialist's knowledge. But um, again, I think that you watch the specialists are adapting too, big time. Now I know one of my great my favourite podcasts is The Rest Is History, with um, uh, Dominic Sandbrook and uh, Tom Holland that who came out to Australia recently. Did a show at the Enmore Theatre in, in Sydney, sold out. I think within about sort of more or less a day. Not not inexpensive tickets, and they have just they've got three million downloads a week, um, a month. Half of whom are under 35. They they've just been awarded the British History Association's main prize for completely taking history to a whole new population and doing it with fun. But they are most definitely experts so they they do a lot of they, they trust each other they come from ever so slightly different perspectives now i just find that incredibly hopeful um so you know when i i mean it is true that a lot of the academics we used to interview a lot they would not move out of their guard rails. they were adamant that they were so frightened about one other colleague noting they went slightly outside their specific frame of reference. And, of course, they became tedious and boring, to get back to my predictability thing. But the better they get and the more sure, the, the more they are moving outside of those guardrails. And, look, well, for me they are, they are still the priority. I find the mob, unless the mob have somebody, you can single people out who've got a story to tell and they've made themselves specialist in their story and equipped themselves, in which case I'm very happy to hear about that. But, look, just prejudice blurting, I don't know, <laughs> even though it's well done, I just, no, I've got a real, um, I think it's toxic. <laughs> I hate it. I don't like nutters and you know, I, don't, I don't want to interview nutters. Like, that's a real issue, you know. People, of, through the years, you know, you get rung up by people with real little obsessions, often very disturbed people and very worrying people. And um, some of my friends said, oh, No, that, that's a great story to tell, you know, you can hear it, you can hear. I said, No, I don't want to hear it, thank you. And I don't think we give that person a platform. And the one thing I will not do is give a person a platform to sue others onto violence. That was something I learned years ago in the, when I was in the UK when the whole of the troubles were on in Northern Ireland and the BBC had to work out. Did it censor itself listening to the men of violence? Well, No, it decided. It had to hear them. But what it would not cop were those men, usually they were men, some women, Suing others onto violence. That was beyond the power. Now, i always thought that's a pretty good sort of distinction,
0: So you're happy to accept a vast variety of views, but there is a point, there's a red line. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And if they, and you can hear them going near it, um, you can, you know, this is a little bit of a sidebar, but I lived through a lot of those times when I was working for Life Matters and everything, which I set up on
0: um, radio. This is on Radio National. Radio National, mm.
1: which was really much more about social affairs and everything. I'm very proud of it, so I think I'm more proud of that than anything in my working life, actually, because it's still on air and it changed the agenda, really. But we went through that whole recovered memory syndrome thing and so on, and I, could, I developed, I think, anyway, an ability People would, you know, there were all these people going to writing classes and writing books that were getting published about their life story and you could feel them. They were telling it, I believed them, to a certain point and then they'd cross a line and start, I thought, fabricating. Without it, I don't even know whether they knew they were doing that. Um, but their writing classes encouraged sort of encouraged them to free flow, you know, let your imagination go. And... I thought, yeah, I, I don't believe you from here on in. I remember two occasions of that happened. Now, I think, I think it behooves us, you know, to be sceptical about if it's, you know, really? Really? Well, maybe it is beyond the pale. <laughs> mm.
0: That's a fantastic skill, by the way.
1: Well, I've worked with it. Do you it. still use it? Yes, I do. I do, actually. I mean, I don't do that as many of that those things now Um, but you know I'm doing more foreign affairs I I do economics and I do do lovely big stories to people's own takes but I think you can develop it actually you can just something
0: just is it a body feeling um what is it or is it what comes from the mind it's more of a mind thing
1: it's more there's something about um, uh, a psychiatrist once said to me if you, and I've, it's been played out with interview, interviews, people who get into really acute stress often they're very flat in their account they don't actually act it out, you know, as if they're sort of George Clooney, they're actually very even and almost uninspiring and I've notice that again and again and again. And, in fact, if they get florid and, you know, lovely rise and fall, like the sort of thing we allegedly love, I don't trust it.
0: Mm. So there.
1: <laughs> that's surprising that I don't.
0: Oh, fantastic. Hey, that's a skill that everyone can do at home, right, over the <laughs> dinner table.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> You've really been that award at school. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you too can win a Walkley. <laughs> We're going to say farewell to some of our listeners. Jump onto Substack if you want to continue on with this conversation. Returning to history, and we talked a little bit before about this idea of the mob. What's your take on the concept of being on the right side of history? Oh, what a good question. It's beginning to look a lot like that holiday season, which means it's that time of the year where you start making a list and checking it twice and realise that you, your friends and family have got way too much crap in your lives. So this festive season, gift yourself or someone you love a monthly or annual subscription to the Storymakers Institute, your front row pass to the world's most intriguing storytellers. Receive new episodes of the show every week and your own premium feed with extended full-length episodes only for paid subscribers to set up your subscription just visit the storymakersinstitute.substack.com forward slash subscribe happy holidays